0: Hello and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Take your Bibles. Let's take these next few moments And if you would open your Bibles to the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah, chapter four, um, we're gonna gonna take a look at a a passage of scripture here. And um and, and also just even an analogy from this morning. You know, if you're if you're a duck or you're someone who is involved in water mitigation, today's a great day, right? For normal people who ride motorcycles, not so much. So we had to postpone that ride today. um, And it's going to be next week, and you'll hear more about that. But um, don't let Satan rob you of your joy. Don't let Satan rob you of your joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. our strength. I'm grateful for you. You see, God made you, and that gives you value. I am thankful for the Constitution of the United States that simply says that, that we have, you know, as human beings, we have inalienable rights. But the reason that you're a person of value and of purpose is because God made you. God made you. And he said it was good. Constitution is fine and all, but it's not God's word. God's word affirms that he, he knows you and he loves you and he made you. Our sermon series, um, are you okay? Our sermon series we're starting this morning is called Praxis. You say, what in the world? What is praxis? Praxis, it's what you do in order to ascertain the results you desire. It's, it's defined as an accepted practice or custom, an idea translated into action. We're talking about action. Something in reality rather than something that is just in theory. So for those of you today that, that like the cookies on the on the bottom shelf you like things in action it's okay listen um, you know give me something that I can that I can you know work out and and, and put into action then this series is for you um, for example um, fasting is a result of your Christian faith is an example of praxis that you're something that you know. Scripture has taught you this. You say, "Okay, I know that the Scripture says when you fast, you you know you, you should you should do this, or when you pray, you should do this." And so, I know that in theory, but um, you know, praxis is the thing that says, "Okay, now I'm going to fast, or I'm going to pray, I'm going to put it into action." All right, we're, we're all familiar with the word orthodoxy. So, orthodoxy. I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the Orthodox Church per se, as a, as a denomination, I'm talking about orthodoxy in the sense that it means correct opinion, truth, orthodoxy, in the sense of, of doctrine or, or uh, theory, it's, it's, it's orthodox. For Christians, the word orthodoxy is often used as a is, is shorthand for our faith. You know, we, we have an orthodox faith. It's composed of a couple of Greek words, orthodoxy, orthos um, and doxa, they... they, they they, together they form orthodoxia, which translated into English is, is orthodoxy. The orthos literally is a word that means straight. Straight. Uh, those familiar with geometry uh, will recognize it in the word um, orgonal, which is a straight, um, it, it's, a, it's lying at a straight angle, something lying at a straight angle. Those who know something about dentistry will think about orthodontics, which Uh, concerns itself with straight teeth right Um, an orthopedist wants to make sure that your skeleton is straight literally orthopedics means straight children so orthos it's it's straight Um, it it should probably come is no surprise that the word orthos metaphorically also refers to something that is true and so If something is straight if it's true we say it is it is straight in English to say something is straight means it's reliable it's it's true so for example we would talk about someone who talks straight a straight talker this idea of orthos of course someone who's on the right path is on the straight and narrow no doubt our minds are also called to the use of the word straight uh, when even in reference to sexuality, that word is used. Or even from a decade ago, uh, maybe two, a straight referred to someone who didn't take recreational drugs. <laughs> they were a straight. So orthos means straight. The other side of the word orthodoxy is the word doxa. Um, and, and orthodoxy is a hard and fast, unmovable set of teachings or opinions, orthodoxy. It's It's very much about the straight, true, teachings of of the church from the bible it teachings that can't be changed it's 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 a deposit of faith we could say a theology that will never be altered because it is the truth it's the straight teaching of god's word so orthodoxy within christianity refers to the acceptance of the doctrines defined by various creeds ecumenical councils as defined by biblical authority now orthodoxy emphasizes correct belief correct belief correct doctrine orthopraxy is the other side of the same coin that emphasizes correct behavior conduct that is ethical based on what one is one believes it is not only orthodoxy which is straight truth but orthopraxy is saying that my my behavior is matching what i believe What I do is also what I say. And so in this series, we're going to be be talking about orthodoxy, praxis. Um, Putting into practice what we say we believe. It's theology in shoe leather. Look, for many Christians, we are educated well beyond our level of obedience. understand what that means we know more than we actually put into practice many times or our practice sometimes is is different than what we believe we believe may believe the right thing but sometimes our practice falls short thinking straight is crucial to walking straight orthodoxy matters and that's why we preach god's word we use uh, we, we, we base what we believe on Scripture, um, but once you have straight doctrine, living that out is crucial to have truth set you free. So, for example, you can know in your head that you are no longer a slave to sin, but living that out in your life is another matter. You guys don't struggle with this, huh? Just me? So we're going to look at some orthopraxy kinds of things in this series, and you know that those those two things are together. And we we teach doctrine, we 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 teach a biblical theology, orthodoxy. But we're going to focus in in these next few weeks on some practice things. And some of, for, some of you are going to say, "Okay, well, this is this is way below me. I I, I like to soar in the clouds." you know, and I would come to church to, you know, have my intellect challenged and, and all of that, and say, listen, this, you know, you're shooting too low for me. Well, maybe so. I know some some of you like to talk about big theological doctrines, and well, we should. So things like soteriology, you want to know about eschatology. Nothing excites you more than a good sermon on the doctrine of sanctification or the doctrine of the Trinity or the doctrine of inerrancy or the doctrine of immu- immutability or the, the doctrine of imminence, of e- right? I mean, just, it's just exciting. It puts a quiver in your liver and you get excited about it, right? And so I run the risk of shooting too low for some of you today. And you may... Think, well, I'm I'm past this. Maybe you are, good for you. But as a whole, I think the church knows more than it lives out. I think we say we believe more than we actually put into practice Monday through Saturday. So I, I want to we have to dig deep, and I want to dig deep and learn the deep things of God, and at the risk of seeming too simple for some. I believe that a reminder to do what we already know is also important. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7 if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Or this passage in James. Chapter four and verse seven. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So today, this next series, we're gonna be talking about orthopraxy, praxis, okay? Today I wanna talk about some things, some small things that make a big difference. You know the small things make a big difference. Sometimes we despise small things. We become dissatisfied that we aren't involved in big things. We like, we like big things. But we forget sometimes that, that small things small things make a big difference. Big bad things that happen are often the result of a lagging measure of small good things. Little things over a length of time creates huge impact. Zechariah speaks of the day of small things, Zechariah chapter 4. So remember back when we were talking about the days of daniel there was exile and the and and the babylonians had had come in and destroyed jerusalem and the temple and following that god raised up people to to uh, to bring the people back and to restore the temple and Zechariah was was one of those and he had dreams and he had visions he was one of those prophets that god used in those days of of coming back to to rebuild the temple in jerusalem after Uh, there's there many years 70 years of exile and the angel in chapter 4 who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep and he asked me what do you see and here's this part of this vision that zechariah had this dream he said i see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps and two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl the other on its left and i asked the angel who talked to me what are these my lord he answered do you not know what these are no my lord i replied so he said to me this is the word of the lord is not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the lord almighty i mean there were uh, kingdoms that were raging there were there were battles that were happening there was a political sense in that climate that that there were nations that were warring and conquering kings and and yet what the lord said is not by might not by power not by horses and chariots but by the name of the power of the spirit says the lord almighty verse seven what are you my mighty mountain before zerubbabel you will become level ground then he will bring out the capstone of shouts of god bless it god bless it then the word of the lord came to me the hands of zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple his hands will also complete it. So here's what had happened. They, they, had, they had gotten some progress. They had started the rebuilding. But because of distraction, because of antagonists, because of a political climate, things had, had quieted down. And, and for a period of several years, maybe 16 years, 17 years, somewhere in there, uh, the building had, uh, had, had stopped. But the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, his hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? And he replied, do you not know what they are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Don't despise the day of small things. The nation of Israel had a humble beginning. Without God's special plan, they would never become important. God chose them, he's, he's using them. And, and with, without his plan, they wouldn't have become important and things didn't always go well. There were times of blessing, there were also times of struggle. They had their ups and downs, there were times that Israel was following God, there were times that they rebelled against God and, and then they fell into captivity. Solomon's temple in all its glory stood in the city of Jerusalem. It was the pride of the Jewish nation It took over seven years to build. People traveled to Jerusalem to see the beauty of the temple. But remember, King Nebuchadnezzar, he he overran Jerusalem. He plundered the city. He burned down the temple. We studied that in our Daniel series. The Babylonian Empire then fell to the Medo-Persian Empire. A new king named Cyrus sat upon the throne. And King Cyrus, he allowed Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem where they began to build a wall around the city and began to, to build the temple. And Zechariah was, was a prophet. He lived during those days. And it was during the, the, the restoration of Judah that um, Zechariah was, was a prophet among the people. And they returned to build their homes and their, uh, their lands and their, their capital and, and their temple. And things didn't go well there either because, as we said, there, were, there, was, there was a building period where it started and then things stopped. Political problems, all kinds of things. And in fact, nobody was working at all on the temple. The little progress that had had been made was, was basically enough done there to, to remind people that it hadn't been completed, that there was this temple that had been there, and, and, and a, the reconstruction had started, but it's almost every time you'd walk by it, you see that some progress had started, but now it had stalled, and and they were almost regretting the fact that they'd tried to make an attempt to restore the temple. It, it, it was unimpressive, it was incomplete, it was unusable. And in fact, many of the Jews in Jerusalem despised the fact that they'd actually started working and, and not accompli- accomplished anything to that point. And that's what. Zechariah was talking about in Zechariah 4.10. He says, Those who have despised the day of small things. Here's this little thing going on. And and yeah, God, it seems like he was leading us to do that, and he's restoring his people, he's bring people back, but it's like it hasn't amounted to much. They despise small things. What they forgot was that God was behind the building project. And he wanted to complete it. No matter how small or insignificant it was, God was paying attention to it. One day the word of the Lord came to the man of God named Zechariah. Look at verse 6. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And he said, this is, this is the message. This is the word. The temple would be completed. It was going to be more than just human power. Um, people have looked and said, well, this thing is insignificant. But God says, I- I'm behind it. I- I'm gonna... D- don't despise the-, the day of small things. Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, all tell the story. Um, Parts of Daniel tell the story of God using a small nation to build a a, a small temple. But if God is in it, it's not small at all, is it? Those who couldn't see the hand of God at work, and as a result, their lack of spiritual um, energy, they actually despised the work. It was too small, too insignificant to bother with. Some people mocked and laughed, some people whined and complained, some people were preoccupied with other things, but they set their mind to work, they rebuilt the temple. You know, There are always people who will get the work done, who are willing, who don't despise the little things, who are willing to, to, to jump in and say, listen, I will, do, I will do these things, even if it seems insignificant to the, to the, the masses, it, it's important. The, the little things make a difference, and so there's always people who are willing to get the work done complainers don't get the work done but people who put their mind to do small things get the work done <clears throat> I've also noted this people who are busy rowing the boat don't have time to rock it have you ever noticed that dreamers they don't get the work done They promote their big ideas that require someone else's time and someone else's money to accomplish their dream. They don't actually get the work done. People who day in, day out, consistently, persistently care for small deals, details, get big things done. Author James Clear, in his book Atomic Habits, says the difference... uh, in a tiny a difference, a tiny improvement can make over time is astounding. If you can get one percent better at something each day, if you can get one percent better at something each day, at the end of the year, you're many times over better at that thing. And the same is true in reverse. If you get one percent worse at the same thing for a year, the decline over a year will make you many times worse at that thing. So there's this principle from this Old Testament. prophet says listen don't despise the small things it's the small habits done daily over time that will create the biggest change in your life let me give you a quick example of that a person who spends time with the Lord day after day after day at the end of a week you may say i i may not notice significant difference in that person's life but when you spend time with god year, day after day year after year those little obediences stacked together over time makes a huge difference in a person's life it's it's orthopraxy it's not despising the little things, doing the little things. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 15 says, Catch for us the foxes. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards our vineyards that are in bloom. You see, it's the little things that matter. God blesses small things. Now, I just want you to, to, to think with me through some passages of Scripture here. Genesis 1, creation. God only created two people, and from them the entire human race was developed. Don't despise small things. Don't just say, listen, that, that's not... It's it's not important enough for me to do it's it's not a big thing no it's the little things in life that make a difference. I've I have long told my children, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to. There's always going to be people that are smarter than you. You don't have to be the fastest person on the team. There'll always be people that are faster than you. You you don't have to be the 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 best person in the room. To be successful but if you if you will try if you will work on a few small things here and there you probably will beat about 80 percent of the people in the world it's those small things that make a difference god uses small things genesis 1 two people from them the entire human race um, has come about genesis 8 post flood god started with noah and his family in Genesis 12 through 17, there was this covenant that God made with, with Abraham. There was a promise to one man and one woman, a barren woman, that their descendants uh, would, would be innumerable, a small beginning. In Genesis 3, Jacob prospered after starting out with nothing. In Deuteronomy 7, the Lord took people who were the fewest in number and brought them out of slavery. In Judges 7, God used a pared-down army led by Gideon, to defeat a large army, the Midianites. In 1 Samuel 9, God uh, God chose Saul. Saul was chosen to be king from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest of the tribes of Israel, the least of all the families in Benjamin. So here it was, the smallest tribe, Benjamin, and of the least of all the families of of Benjamin was, was Saul's family, and God chose him to be king. In 1 Samuel 17, David, little David, killed the giant goliath with a small stone and it's amazing in scripture if you look the significance of 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 the littles that that made a difference i i think back of moses who was just this little baby who cried out and was discovered by pharaoh's daughter and was being protected by his sister and and pharaoh's daughter found him and and adopted him and 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 his sister arranged, you know, to get a Hebrew midwife, uh, <laughs> Moses' mother, to raise him. I think about, um, you know, children. The boy with a few loaves and fishes that God used to to feed thousands. I think of David, who, as a teenager, fought Goliath. The small things. Um. <coughs> Excuse me. First Kings 19. Elijah got the word of the Lord. Remember, not in the wind, not in the mighty rushing wind, not in the earthquake, and not in the fire. But w- where did he get the word of the Lord? In the still small voice. Don't despise the small things. Second Chronicles, the, um, the army was small, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hands. God, and it was the uh, armenian army where armenian army that that the lord used even even pagan armies small god used to judge a rebellious nature nehemiah 2 the one man catches a vision to return to jerusalem and build a wall job 8 job's friend bildad said though your beginning was insignificant your end will increase greatly proverbs 30 ants hyraxes locusts and lizards watch this there are four things on earth, Proverbs 30, four things on earth that are small but unusually wise. Ants, they aren't strong, but they store up food all summer. Hyraxes, they aren't powerful, but they make their home among the rocks. Locusts, they have no king, but they march in formation. Lizards, they're easy to catch, but they're found even in king's palaces, the small things. Micah 5, Bethlehem, remember the, the, the prophecy Bethlehem Ephratah a a little you know too little to be among the clans of Judah but from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel Jesus started a discipleship revolution with a small group of 12 Matthew 15 4,000 were fed with very limited resources seven loads a few small fish Mark 4, we have the parable of the mustard seed. Mark 12, the widow gave a small mite, all she had. Jesus said she gave more than any rich person. John 6, feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children. Again, limited resources, five loaves, two small fish. John 12, small grain of wheat. But, But when it falls into the ground and dies, it produces much fruit. Acts 13, Saul became known as Paul, which by the way, the name Paul means little or humble. He considered himself the least of all the apostles. Romans 11, a remnant remains, a small part persists. In 1 Corinthians 1, God works through seemingly weak and insignificant things and in people. Um, in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, that little part contributes to the whole. We're important for health and growth. Just, you know, the, the, hand, the, you know, the hand can't say to the toe, it's not, it's not significant. James 3, a small tongue can do great harm. Little things make big difference. You put the little things you know into practice and great results will follow. Don't despise the little things. Let me just give you some little things that we know and need to put into practice. Let me just list a few things for you. Here's one. Commandments. We're about orthopraxy. Let's, let's talk about commandments. We know the, the commandments. We know God gave them to his people, those, those ten commandments. For example, just take the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness. We know that. That is true. That's directly from, from God to his people. Thou shalt not bear false witness. We know that. But lying is still a major issue in our world. There are so many ways to lie. So we talk about, oh, I know the commandments. In fact, churches, Christians get upset when they're taken out of courthouses and off the wall and people jump up and down, scream and holler. How would they dare take the Ten Commandments off the wall? The ninth one is, thou shalt not lie. That's, you know, let's, let's talk about some orthodoxy. Thou shalt not lie, God's word. It's chiseled in stone. I mean, God said it. He means it. Thou shalt not lie. Oh, we believe that. Okay, now let's talk about praxis. There are so many ways to lie. And people do it all the time. They lie by telling part of the truth. Well, the part that I said was true, but they left out information that would have made the story completely different the little white lie the big fat lie all these different ways to lie you know where the temptation it's it's everywhere to lie all you have to do is fill out a form and they ask you how much you weigh (laughs) and the liars come out all over the place (laughs) hold it we're talking about What we do and say is supposed to match what we said we believe. Another place that happens is when we play the tax game. We're going to tell the truth. You know, render under Caesar what is Caesar's. But we play the game. Commandments. For example the eighth commandment thou shall not steal. There's all kinds of way people steal Cheat on their taxes Pens and paper from the office They cheat on their time Either fill out the card different or wrong or they they, they stand around and talk when they should be working Wait a minute. We were talking about, we said, you thou shalt not steal, and, and yet there are people that don't even think, think a lick about it. Their praxy, what they're doing, does not match with what they said they believe. One of those areas is the commandments. Here's another one. Corporate time and personal time with God. Here's little things that we know and need to put into practice. I already talked about that, that personal time with God, that a little time here and there and there and there and there, that ends up adding up to a significant difference. Corporate time of worship, where worship gets worked into our schedule. People are adding God to their schedule. They're not sold out to God. They're adding God to everything else they're doing. And when everything else they're doing, you know, keeps them up late at night or they're, they're too busy, they skip on church. Corporate and personal time with God. Those are little things that we know to do. Forsake not the gathering together of the saints. And in America, the average attendance of people in church is somewhere uh, between one and two times a month. Here's one, another little thing we know and need to put into practice, and it's the idea of community. This idea that I'm going to care for others, I'm going to share with others, I'm going to be with other people. Some people love to do everything on their own. Say, I'm fine, I'm good. Or, you know, they want to to do their thing on their own. But we're called to be a community, and this idea of caring for others, sharing with other people, being with other people this whole idea of community it's a little thing that we know and we need to put into practice and yet we say we say that you know we talk about we're the sons and daughters we're part of the family of God and yet many times people are solely focused on their own life that they can't even see the needs of others around them how often do you get up in the morning and say God help me to see the needs of others today oftentimes our prayer of God I need this and I need that and I need this and I need that or our prayers are an organ recital you know help my liver help my heart help my eyes you know some little things we know and need to put into practice here's a word contribute it is in a general spirit what we talked about in our last series we talked about Generosity, giving our time, our talents, our treasure. Be a giving person. But the whole idea of helping others in need, putting love into action. Love is an action verb. Love is more than an emotion you feel. It's a commitment you make, and it's an action you take. Contribute. Let me mention one more thing. Some little things that we know and need to put into practice. Now, again... I understand there's some big doctrines that we love to discuss but at some point it's these small things that make a difference here's one communicating the gospel we are disciples but we're called to make disciples not only to be a disciple to be a follower of Christ and there's the church is full of people who are disciples following Christ but they have never gotten busy Doing what God has called us to do, to make disciples. To be a disciple, but to make a disciple. God has called you to be a disciple maker. That because of your life, because of your witness, because of your love, because of your care, because of your communication, because of your contribution, other people know Christ, love Christ, have been saved by him and are also following the Jesus, or on the Jesus road. Communicating the gospel we're called to be disciples and disciple makers yet so many people are unwilling to share what they know Here's a question for you. Have you rehearsed the gospel lately? If God would just put someone in front of you and say listen You may not know me. I don't know you, but I want to get saved. Can you can you tell me how to get saved? Can you share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with me? Could you do it? Have you rehearsed the gospel? Have you rehearsed the gospel? We say oh because we come in here and we talk about the gospel, we say we even value it. You know? And and we say that that's this you know we 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 lay out the doctrine, orthodoxy. What about orthopraxy when it comes to the gospel? Are you communicating the gospel? Have you rehearsed the gospel recently? Have you retold your testament, your testimony recently? Say, nope, I did that when I joined the church. You know? I filled out all the forms. Thank God they didn't ask about my weight. And then I suffered through trying to write out my testimony. And I eked it out. And thank God that's done. We don't have to do that again. Have you rehearsed your testimony recently? Can you tell someone what Jesus has done for you, how he's changed your life? I don't mean that now you have a place to go on Sunday, but I mean how you went from dead to alive. What has what, what the blood of Jesus Christ done for you? What about his sacrifice? What about your sin? What about forgiveness? What about confession that he is Lord? What about that he lives within you? Have you, have you rehearsed? You say, listen, I know I mean, I'm supposed to be a disciple maker orthodoxy what about orthopraxy have you reached out to someone to lead them to follow Christ orthodoxy emphasizes correct belief correct doctrine orthopraxy is the other side of the same coin that emphasizes correct behavior conduct that is ethical based on what one believes it's those little things It's those little things. I'm going to invite the team to come. They're going to lead us in our last song. St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. You'll see some of the most magnificent paintings, some of the most prized sculptured works that exist in the world today. One of the most remarkable things is the artwork of Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel. One day he was working on a painting, and a friend noticed the painting and he noticed the days passed and 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 um that it seemingly no progress had been made on the painting he asked michelangelo he said why haven't you been working on the painting the greatest artist said i've been working on it day and night so well, what have you been doing he said i can't see any changes i can't see any additions whatsoever and michelangelo said this he said well i worked on a finger of a person for a day i worked on the lobe of an ear for a little bit i worked on a wrinkle on on the on, on the face some person asked this question is why do you spend so much time on trifles why do you spend so much time on trifles the little things Michael O'Angelo answered this he said trifles make perfection and perfection is no trifle let me give you one more thing that made a big difference in Philippians the writer talks about Jesus coming to earth think about it a king in a stable We've heard much about a king in these last, this last week. King Charles III, newly appointed monarch in England. Kings don't show up in cattle troughs. They don't show up as babies. They show up with a big to-do, lots of fanfare. That's how kings are made known. But Jesus humbled himself, he became a, a man born as a baby. In telling the greatest story the world has ever known, God chose to use a series of little incidents, an insignificant woman, little tasks, little people, little places to give us a story of Christ's coming to the world. You could not read Luke's account without being impressed with the fact that there's nothing that man would call great in that story. Someone has said, God is great in great things, but he is. God is great in great things, but he's very great in little things. Really thought about the fact that God came into this world as a little baby. Can you imagine God in a manger? I mean, he created Adam as a human being, a man, an adult. Couldn't he have done a whole lot more if he'd have brought God into the world? want to be more remarkable, more dramatic, if, no, God, incarnate, born of a woman, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in nature. He came as a little tot, in a little town, placed in a little thing, but God chooses to do some things by using the little things. Don't despise the little things. Don't ignore them. Don't despise them. Those little things that you say you believe, you do day after day after day. Little things make a big difference. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.